Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are back, and I want to go to the phones because I want to start describing to you where we're staying. I told you earlier we're on this trip through Minnesota. We're spending a week fishing in the Northland of Minnesota, up and where I used to say where I grew up, but my wife reminds me I never grew up. I just got older here, so this is kind of my old stomping grounds. And then from here, at the end of the week, we're going up to Grand Moraine. We're going to be on Lake Superior. So we're going to be doing our show live from these locations, reporting, kind of sharing with you what this experience is like. And right now, I want to tell you about where we're staying. So let's go to the phones. And joining us is Cody Groutman. Good morning, Cody. How's it going, Terry? It's going great. And you're just a few doors down from me, but the setup we had, you had to call in. But it's sounding great. And I want to First of all, I want to say we're just having such a great time uh, being here at the resort, and we want to tell people about it. But I want to tell them about the area first, Cody. This, For people who've never come up to this area of Minnesota, now we're on the shores of Little Winnie, which is uh, Winnemagoshish is Big Winnie, um, which is, I think, maybe a 1,000-acre lake, somewhere like that, with great fishing. But we're almost within walking distance, or certainly a short drive, of some of the most famous fisher, fisheries in the world, aren't we? Absolutely. Some of the best fishing in, in Minnesota and I'd say Northern America is is just within about 10 minutes of, of here. There's several larger lakes. You mentioned Big Winnie. We got Cass Lake, Leech Lake, um, Bowstring. They're all within about 10 minutes, 15 minutes of us. So we're pretty centrally located. And anybody who has followed things like the professional walleye trail or the new walleye tours, even the Bassmasters, and then just somebody who loves to get away and fish has, has probably heard of some of these lakes. And of course, the the walleye is the king up here. And we'll talk. Uh, we're going to do a lot of walleye fishing. In fact, I think we're having a fish fry tomorrow. So don't tell anybody because I want more for myself. But but there's a lot of other species up here too, like bass and pike and muskies and just about anything, any warm water species imaginable, isn't there? Absolutely. And uh, like you, like you had mentioned, muskies is one of the ones that is one of the ones that's probably overlooked in our area, but we, we have probably one of the most premier lakes for it. Right here on little Winnie you're talking about. And, and, you know, people in other parts of the world, they'll go to a boat ramp, like where I live in Colorado. If there's two reservoirs by my house, if I don't get to the boat ramp, I, six o'clock in the morning, I'm probably got an hour and a half, two hour wait. That's not what's going to happen around here, is it? No, we're pretty secluded and we, we have our boat landing reserved for our customers. So it's, it's kind of a catered to our customers. Um, there are other access points to the lake, but it's, it's not overfished, not overcrowded and it's just a joy to be out there. It's an undeveloped lake. So there's no uh, structures on the lake shore and it's just kind of a, a beauty just to be out on the lake. Oh, it is a beautiful place. Let's talk about your your facility here a little bit. We're in one of the cabins. How many cabins do you have? We have eleven total. And and give us kind of the size range. We're in a two bedroom. What else do you have? Yes, we have quite a variety. We have our economy cabin, which is just our one bedroom cabin. Goes for about one hundred and thirty dollars a night during our peak season. And then we have two to three bedroom cabins, and then our biggest one is our four bedroom cabin. Antler Lodge has 
six double beds with a king suite whirlpool tub, two bathrooms, giant living room with three couches. So just kind of depends if you're coming up for a family vacation, family reunion, or just a guy's fishing trip. We kind of have a, a cabin for everybody. Now, you also have, how many RV sites do you have? You have a huge RV park here, too. Yeah, we have a, an extensive RV park. We have 133 seasonal lots that we rent out, and we also have six temporary lots for water and electric for just if you're coming up on the weekends. And then, of course, you have, um, we'll get into some of the other things. Well, watercraft. You have, you, have, you have boats you rent. People can rent boats, whether they're pontoons or fishing boats. Is that right? Yeah, we've got a total of five watercrafts that we rent out. Uh, one of them is our 22-foot Weir's pontoon, really nice modern pontoon. for You use it for fishing, but a lot of families use it just for recreation and, and tooling around. And then we also do have some fishing boats that uh, people rent out to come enjoy the lake if they don't want to tow their own up. And, if, of course, if they tow their own boat up, you have a large slip area where once they land the boat, they can keep it in the water, right? Absolutely. It's free of charge, and we land it for you so that you don't have to worry about trying to back your boat in or worry about the struggle of, like you said, waiting your turn. It's just a matter of giving a logic call, and we'll meet you down there and put your boat in for you. Make sure you're parked, parked right and get out fishing and have a good time. Do you have a number of guides that work around the area that you work with? Yeah, there are several guides that actually live on site here, um, and then we do work closely with them. Uh, a couple of the ones that we recommend would be like Scott Zuffer and uh, Roy Gertz. Those are the two that are kind of on site here that we work with. And then and they, they, they have a others that they recommend that are in the area as well. And do they fish other lakes besides Little Winnie? Absolutely. They, they're, you know, there to make sure you guys get fish. So they're going to go chase the fish, whether it's on Little Winnie, Big Winnie, Round Lake, Bowstring. But the the beauty of it is, and the reason why they stay here is we are centrally located. So like I said before, it's about a 10-minute drive to any of the premier walleye lakes. And if we don't have the best fishing on our lake, they can just drive within about 10 minutes and get on the best fishing. Yeah, that's always something that I know um, Greg Clajo, who you know very well, who's been my partner in fishing for more years than I'm going to say because it would give away my age. But but um, he living up here when we fished, if we didn't like the fishing in a lake, we might hit two, three lakes in a day. That's very difficult in most parts of the country. Once you commit to a body of water back where we live, you're pretty much committed to that body of water for the day. So it's really, and people don't understand the quality of fishing. And, you know, you talked about the the walleye. Walleye king here, and there's some of the best walleye fisheries in the world are virtually just outside the cabin door. But people don't understand, like you mentioned the muskies, but panfish. You've got crappies and bluegills, and then you've got bass. Now, up here, it's amazing how the bass get ignored. But people travel the world looking for bass to fish for and Greg and I always spend a day or two fishing bass and folks you may not get a 10 pound bass in Minnesota because the state record isn't that big but we'll get more three to five pound bass here than maybe anywhere else I fish in the world except maybe Mexico and it's just it's just incredible so you can really target anything you want including ice fishing right yeah absolutely and we do a little shearing uh, out here on Little Winnie we run 13 dark houses in the winter we're open all year round so we got, uh, you know, heated cabins and uh, heated fish houses for rent in the wintertime. 
and we do a reduced rate of $50 a night per person in the winter for a cabins. All right. And last but not least, you're family friendly, and you do have a lot of amenities for the kids, including a pool and a restaurant and ice cream. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we got a small-scale, uh, I would call it like a bar restaurant. So we got burgers and fries and pizza. We have our in-ground heated swimming pool and playground. Uh, one of the other things that hasn't been mentioned but it's been a little bit bigger in the area is uh, recreational four-wheeling and grouse hunting. In the fall, and we got thousands of miles of trails that you can access from the resort without having a trailer. So it's becoming a lot more fun with the families to bring up their four-wheelers and just kind of explore the northern Minnesota and, and having a lot of fun right out of a resort without having to have too much trouble. Now, are those trails adequate for side-by-sides, or do you need a pretty aggressive ATV, or is there just all kinds of different trails? All kinds of different trails, but they're they're well-maintained forestry trails, so they're wide enough to take down your side-by-sides, but you can also have your your lighter four-wheelers and stuff on them, so Class 1 and 2 ATVs can go down them. But even people bring down their, their pickups and Jeeps on some of them, on the bigger ones. And, of course, you mentioned that in the wintertime, not only do you have ice fishing, but in fall, you have some pretty good hunting here, too, that people might be interested in. Yeah, world-class grouse hunting, I would, I would put it in. It's one of the best grouse hunting areas that I've ever experienced. Well, Cody, we're going to let you go, but uh, tell people how they find you on the web and how they locate you in the name of the resort. Absolutely. So this is Little Winnie Resort. You can find us on Facebook at Little Winnie Resort or go to our website at littlewinnie.com. You can contact us with our phone at 218-246-8501 if you have any questions. Uh, We encourage you to go on our website, like I said, and just kind of check us out. And if you have any questions, give us a call. All right, my friend, thank you for coming on with us. We're having a great time. And uh, end of this week, my partner, Greg Clausio, and I are going to give an updated fishing report on our success. So thank you, Cody. Thank you, Terry, and good luck. And don't uh, don't take so much crap from Greg. No, can't. you got to give it back to him. That's All right, right, thanks, Cody. You bet. Thanks. Cody, Grout- Cody Groutman. You know, folks, we focus on the radio show on stuff around Colorado mostly, but we do travel. And just like our television shows, you know, we did two television shows where we um, we did Mountain States Fishing, which was centered within a day's drive of the front range of Colorado. And then, of course, we did Angling Adventures, where we went from the Arctic Circle to the equator. And during, during that uh, time of doing Angling Adventures, we did return up here. In fact, we did television shows on Lake Winnie, on Winnebogoshish, which is Big Winnie. We did television shows on Red Lake, which is up here. We've done television shows on a number of the lakes in this area, um, Leech Lake, which isn't far, with some of the most famous guides in the world. This is a tremendous fishing experience. And if you were listening to me talk to Nate at the, at the beginning of the show, Nate and I both have spent extensive time up here and the fishing is so different. What you read about in the magazines, so often we read about in the magazines about the weed lines, the break line, the first drop off, the different varieties of forage. And a lot of those articles are aimed at Midwest 
locations like northern Minnesota. So you've got to adapt them a little bit when we do apply them to Colorado. Now, most of the time on the show, like when Nate came on and Chris Steinbeck came on, we're talking about waters in Colorado or very close that you can drive to and fish within the next day or two. But we also want to step outside once in a while, both for us, because we like to travel, but to expose you to other types of fishing, other types of camping, other types of outdoor activity, because it just, it, it broadens your experience. And even though the fishing is different here, you can pull things from here that you can take with you. And trust me, if you become a great reservoir angler in the Western United States, you can come to these fishings, fisheries where the water is stable and the forage is a little different and adapt very quickly and be very successful. So you can plan on having a great trip. I, I, I can't ever guarantee I'm going to catch fish, but I'm very, I'd be very amazed if my partner Greg and I don't have some very excellent days fishing here. But what we have excellent days in Colorado too. Tell you what, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to switch things up. We're going to talk archery and getting ready for archery season on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. Let's go to the phones and joining us from the Jackson Broomfield is uh, David Caputa. Did I say that right, David? Yeah, yeah. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I think the timing of you coming on today is so important with pronghorn season just a couple weeks away and with uh, archery elk not that far away. We're going to be into these hunting seasons so quickly. First of all, the Jackson Broomfield, Jacks has both outdoor gear stores and they have the farm and ranch stores and they have the combined stores. I believe Broomfield's a combined store. Is that right? Uh, correct. Yeah, we, we've got both sides and it, it kind of feels like a little bit of everything here. Yeah, and you guys just, well, you do have a little bit of everything. I, I could just find about anything I need at those stores. And along with that, on some of the Jack stores, you have archery pro shops and ranges right in the store. And I believe that's the case at Broomfield also, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, yeah. We've got a full pro shop. Um, we've got a, a decent sized range, can accommodate uh, quite a few people. Um, so, yeah. And so right in the store, and, you know, it's that time of the year, and we preach this with both the bow and arrow archery, with the rifles, even with the shotgun sports. People tend to pull their stuff out just a week or two before they're going hunting. And first of all, you don't get that confidence level because shooting of any kind, whether it's archery or firearms, is a perishable skill that you need to practice. So you don't get that confidence and feeling and understanding. But if there's an issue, sometimes you don't have time to get it fixed. So to start off with right now, if somebody needs their bow tuned up, they really need to be looking at things right now, don't they? That's exactly right. Yeah. So the, the biggest issue when you wait is just like you said, it's the practice and everything and the confidence, but more so you pull it out and you realize there's a problem and now you're kind of scrambling to try to get it fixed. And, and I think pulling your equipment out early is key, you know, making sure everything's in tune and there's, there's no issues there. Um, you know, having it looked over never hurts. Um, but no. being ahead of the game is definitely key. So Somebody brought their bow in just to get it looked over or tuned. What are some of the things you would check and some of the things you could fix if there was an issue? 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll check is just the overall condition of the bow. You know, I'll look at things like the string, which can wear out, um, especially in the moisture. Um, I'll then look at some of the uh, the other things, you know, making sure that, that everything's smooth on the bow, you know, on a compound especially. We want to make sure everything's pulling smooth, um, make sure there's no places where the string is, is wearing on anything. So making sure, you know, all of the, the components don't have any uh, nicks or burrs on them and, and kind of just looking the whole bow over, um, you know, from a tuning perspective, I'm going to make sure that, you know, that, that the arrow is, is still going to be flying true through the bow, make sure nothing's kind of come out of whack over the last year um, and, and really those types of things. You know, I, I have a quick question for you, kind of just, I'm going to catch you a little off guard, but I know we see so many compound bows out there now and that people see all the cables on them, but are there still a fair number of people that shoot with recurved or even long bows? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there still is quite a few. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a more unique sport in that sense. Um, it, it's really, you know, we call it traditional, and it's really cool when people do that. Um, but I still know several people, and that's, that's what they prefer. That's what they do. Um, there's even some advantages to it, too, um, which are pretty cool. But it's definitely a, a still alive and well. Let's talk about if I came in and say I brought my bow in, we're getting it tuned up, um, are you oh are you pretty well stocked on all the parts if somebody does need some maintenance done to their bow? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so with us having a full pro shop, I mean, we've got the equipment um, to make things happen, which is great. But as far as all of the parts and accessories go, and even the bows themselves, you know, we've got um, a, a pretty good stock right now. We've got lots of options to, you know, find what the shooter's going to need um, and what fits them the best. Um, I'd say the only area that, that seems to be a little bit of a struggle is getting arrows in every once in a while, but even there we've got quite a few options, so definitely. Now, if I come in and I haven't bow hunted before or I at least don't have a bow, what do you need to know so that you can outfit me? Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing I'll start with is your measurements. Um, you know, we get your draw length, figure out where you're going to be at with that. Um, we'll, we'll try to look at your draw weight, um, make sure that, you know, we're, we're not having you pull too much too quick, um, you know, those types of things, because we really want to get something that fits you right. Um, and, and, you know, the nice thing about having the range in the full pro shop is we can kind of experiment uh, with you and, and kind of get you what you need based on your skill level and, and your measurements. Now, is that range available to the general public or just for people buying? How does that work? Yeah, so the range is open to the general public. Um, you can bring your own equipment in and shoot whenever you want. Um, we also have some rentals. Um, if you're just trying things out, that's definitely an option. But if you're actually looking to buy, um, of course, you know, you can try out our equipment um, and kind of experiment with what you think is best for you and, and get a feel for things. Now, what kind of price range? If I'm gonna, if I'm looking at, I, I would think pronghorn. If you're new to archery, it would be a little difficult because they're hard to hit with a rifle sometimes. But <laughs> but For sure. but if you're looking if you're looking at getting into hunting or starting to practice, it's almost too late to learn and get the practice. But if I was looking at a new bow setup, what kind of money am I looking at spending? What you know, obviously there's no limit to what you can spend. But what do I have to kind of have in mind if I'm getting into the sport? Yeah, yeah. If you're just getting into it, um, the nice thing is there's there's a lot of options out there at a very affordable price point, um, and the equipment's a lot more adjustable at that price point uh, sometimes, which is pretty cool. Um, but we have bows, you know, down in the 
almost the $300 range is kind of where they start. Um, and then when you add all of your accessories, you know, maybe you're adding another 150 to 200 bucks. So you can really kind of get into the compound sport uh, for around, you know, 450, I'd say to 500 will get you, you know, some entry level equipment. If you're doing a recurve, um, again, it's a whole different ball game, but you can get into it for even less than that. So if I'm getting into it, I'm getting there, I get my accessories. Um, how, how long do you think it takes the average person to become proficient enough where they should consider a big game hunting with a bow? You know, it all depends on the shooter. Um, somebody that's brand new, um, if they pick it up and, and are practicing, you know, a couple times a week at least, you know, maybe a couple months is, you know, going to get them kind of comfortable. Um, it, it depends on, you know, what you're shooting at, like we talked about, um, and how far you think you're going to need to shoot. You know, the, the further you practice, um, it ranges, the closer ranges are going to seem even easier. So it, it really depends all on the shooter, but generally a couple months will get you, you know, a little bit of experience under your belt and, and be better than nothing. You know, I've always been a big proponent of, first of all, you have to practice on the standing static ranges because that's how you work on your techniques, how you fine-tune things. But then in addition to that, I'm a big fan of practicing on 3D ranges too. Are you a proponent of that? Yeah, absolutely. 3D ranges um, not only have the advantage of being kind of fun and unique, um, but they, they really get you the muscle memory you need to kind of shoot, you know, at an animal. They they let you picture the animal. You get good at aiming where the vital is. Um, and it, it just gives you that right mindset um, a little bit better than just shooting at paper targets all of the time. And how important is it? You talked about arrows. How important is it to practice with the arrows you hunt with? Oh, it's it's absolutely imperable in, in that you do that. Um, yeah, the the arrows are are key to how everything is going to fly. Um, their weight, but not just their weight. You know, the aerodynamics of the arrow itself. So practicing with your arrows and and more so practicing with your broadheads is going to be really important before you head out there. Yeah, because you know it's like it's like shooting your rifle, practicing with certain ammunition or certain shotgun shells. And then you do something else to hunt, and the results can be so different. It can really, really uh, make such a difference. And I always tell people to practice with the clothes you're going to wear, too. Find out uh, what's going to happen. Don't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. You want to, you know, try and replicate as close as you can the real scenario when you're practicing. So the clothing, the equipment, um, you know, even the conditions you plan to hunt in if you're shooting, you know, upwards at an angle or downwards i mean try to cover all the variables and that's what's going to make you the most confident and comfortable out there in the field what do you think is the biggest mistake people make prior to hunting archery i think the biggest mistake and we kind of touched on this earlier it's just it's waiting too long you know you get excited when the season's about to kick off um, just everything kind of, you know, gets your adrenaline going. But if you haven't practiced and put the time in and if your equipment's not ready, you know, you, you, it can kind of, you know, mess you up in the field. So you want to make sure you, you start early, you get those practice reps in and, and you've got your equipment dialed in and that'll just give you the best time out in the field because waiting too long and, you know, you might miss a shot of a lifetime. Another thing I think you and I have talked about in the past too is, some people, and this usually comes from lack of practice and lack of confidence, they'll change their setup just prior to going hunting. That can mess you up so bad. 
Yeah, absolutely. Even changing something that might seem small, you know, just changing your release, for instance, um, even to the same type of release. Um, that might seem like a, a simple thing, but it changes the muscle memory and it changes the feel of things. And, and you don't want to be out in the field and then you get caught and, and something doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. And yeah, or, you know, sometimes they'll change a site or something. You just don't have time to really get co- comfortable. If you're whether it's archery or firearms, my biggest, uh, I think, thing that I see people lack is they don't practice or shoot enough to have confidence. And when you don't have confidence, you start overthinking in the field, and that's when you make mistakes. All great, great uh, information, David. And you said uh, your guys are in pretty good shape with uh, archery supplies. Arrows may be one thing people want to get out and get early just in case, you think? Yep, yep, exactly. Arrows are definitely the can be the hardest thing to kind of find right now for us um, and making sure you've got the right one that fits your setup. But we've we've got a good selection of them for now, and we've got, you know, plenty of other equipment too. All right, David, thanks. And, you know, the fact that Jax has these pro shops with the shooting range makes it it's so much better and so much easier to make the right decisions and fit the right person. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You bet. David Caputa from the Broomfield store. Now, there's a number of stores. I know the Fort Collins store has an archery pro shop, and I I haven't been to all the jacks. I know there's going to be an archery pro shop at the new one in Loveland when they get the remodel done. So there's a lot lot of them. Uh, And it's just so, you know, I think they're 20 yards. And to go into those stores and make that, uh, try out the equipment, watch them change the fit, help them adjust the pull, where you can actually shoot the arrow just means so much. You know what? We're going to take a timeout. We're going to switch gears on you again because Chad Lachance is going to join us. He was at ICAST, which is the big fishing convention that happens every year where the media and the pros and all, all the companies get together. And normally Karen and I go there. We haven't gone the last couple of years. But Chad's going to give us a report, but we're also going to talk about the new forward-viewing sonar. You know, you're seeing all these ads for all the sonar where you can look ahead or around you. used to be just side view, but now you can look out in front of you. And not only is it changing how we fish, but it's changing our understanding of what the fish do. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Normally you can find us on 104.3 The Fan from 9 to 11, but because of some Broncos training camp coverage, every now and then we get bumped over here or a college football game. In fact, we'll be back on ESPN next week. But let's go to the phones right now. And joining us every other week at uh, one of our final segments is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. Sorry about that oversight of my Facebook this morning. Yeah, well, that's all right. I've been trying to say 104.3, the fan, at the end of, our, end of every segment today. So, you know, you and I have been doing this a long time. Old habits develop poorly. Yeah, yes, sir. I noticed that little detail myself. It becomes, uh, yeah. becomes second nature, but uh, it you know, happens. Speak, that's okay. Speaking of detail, um, I know we're going to talk about some lures you saw at ICAST and some techniques, but the detail you see in today's new forward-looking sonar is revolutionizing fishing again and not only revolutionizing us finding fish but understanding fish behavior isn't it 
Absolutely. And one of my least favorite terms in relation to fishing tackle is game changer. Uh, that's so overused and it bugs me to no end when people use it. But in this particular case, it is a very much an applicable term. I think it has changed how we fish and, and how we understand fish more than any other thing has since perhaps the invention of sonar in the boat in the first place. And, uh, and there's two components to it. One, the fact that you can see out ahead or off to the side of your boat um, very well. That's that's a key part. And the other key part of it, and, and that's the most important part, it's not in a delay. And any other sonar or anything else you're looking at is always on a delay. And therefore, you lose a little bit of the the i don't know what the right word is but the connectivity almost between you and what's going on down there but with the forward-facing sonars i use active target which is lance pike there's live scope there's a whole bunch of different every company out there's got their version of it and they're all similar um the fact that it's in real time lets you see how a fish reacts to your lure or to other environmental things going on around them that I never would have seen or understood or would have taken for granted before. A good example being I was looking at active imaging. I was teaching on the water class, and I was looking at the active target, looking underneath the dock here at Horse Tooth, and I was looking at a block at the bottom that the, that the dock is anchored to, and you could see fish on that block. And I watched one of those fish in real time swim up from the bottom all the way to the surface, feed on the surface right in front of my boat, and then go back to the bottom. And that doesn't seem like a big deal, except for the water was 23 feet deep. That fish saw a bug on the surface from 23 feet down, came up, ate it right in front of my boat, and went right back to that block. And you and I have told people for years, and so has every other angler, that, oh, depth range, depth range, depth range. Well, how do you define a depth range when it when it moves. I'm not hearing Chad. Are you still there, Chad? We lost Chad. All right, we lost him. All right, well, we lost Chad. He'll I'm sure he'll be calling us back very shortly. But he was going about. We were talking about the the live uh, the live view sonars, the front viewing sonars, and one of the issues. Hey. Oh, you back there? Yeah, I don't know what happened. I apologize, Terry. Something dropped on the phone, and I apologize for that. But uh, it's, I don't know what you were just referencing. Just just looking for you. We, we missed you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't miss yeah. much. But back to where I was, I'm not sure exactly where it dropped. But at any rate, um, it, it's redefining how we're understanding fish and how, what they'll do. To watch a smallmouth bass swim 23 feet straight up and eat and then swim 23 feet straight back down redefines what you and I might say about about depth range or strike range, so to speak, right? The strike zone. Another great example of it is I've been guiding on horse tooth for many, many years, and there's a lot of offshore fish. They sit on offshore structure at this time of year because the lake's falling. What I'm finding out is fish are 25 or 30 feet down. You can idle over them all you want with your with your big motor on. You can idle around and look at them and see them on your graph and get a good waypoint. And as soon as you drop the trolling motor and start coming back to them with the trolling motor, they're leaving. And they're leaving when they're 30 feet below the, the surface, and you're not even up to the piece of structure they're sitting on yet in the boat, and you can watch them, and they'll maintain the same distance from your boat. They're just pushing away from the boat as you come in on them. And it's not the sonar. It's not the pinging of the sonar because they don't care about that 
from any other point as long as the trolling motor is not on. So I'm learning a tremendous amount about how to address offshore fish with this live action and, and live sonar, so to speak. And then the other thing that's really key is I'm finding out how many refusals I get. And I had no idea how many fish would come and look at a lure and not bite it. And occasionally you see them at the boat, you know, they'll follow you to the boat or something like that. Well, now we're able to see it consistently where a whole school official will pull up next to your drop shot rig and look right at it, not bite it, and then swim away. Or with Dan Swanson and myself in, in the ocean, in, in the, in the uh, Gulf of Mexico, dropping live shrimp and getting refusals on live shrimp in front of fish uh, that swim up and look at your shrimp. And literally, you can see them sitting there finning it and just swim away. They're just not falling for what we're throwing a lot more than what what we realize. And so it's literally is changing how I approach, particularly offshore fish, how I approach fishing bushes, because I've nosed up to bushes. And as the boat gets close, the fish all leave the bushes. And normally as a bass guy, you would think, well, I could just pull up to that bush and I can flip a jig in there and I can catch them. Well, you can catch some of them, but about a bunch of them left when you pulled up on the boat. And so it's really changing a lot of how we approach uh, approach fishing. And it's not my, in my mind, it's it's probably the most fun I'm having in years is just imply or just, just you know, putting this, this technology into my fishing. So everything you said to me is implying that the fish are getting conditioned to when they know you're angling for them. Let's go to the trolling motor example. For, you know, I've always been a believer that big outboards don't make as much noise below the water as people think anyway, because most of the time your engine is above the water and your exhaust, and you're not making as much noise. People always thought because it's noisy in the boat, it was noisy below the water, where your trolling motor is, your electric motor is in the water, and it's on or off, but... The fish really have to be associating that electric trolling motor. Now, you're in horse tooth, which is very pressured, so they get to see a lot of anglers. But they're really getting conditioned to that trolling motor, meaning I'm going to get somebody is going to mess with me. Somebody's going to be angling here, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the big gas motors don't bother them at all because it's constant all day, every day. At the boat ramp is all the all the ski boats and the party boats and everybody else. And no, it doesn't mess with the fish. But that trolling motor, on the other hand, does. And I've had I've had this discussion with a lot of very educated people on it. And some a lot of anglers think it's the ping from the sonar. But I've been assured by a fish physiologist, it's a doctor, and I have a doctorate in fish physiology that there's no chance they can hear your sonar at those frequencies. The, the kilohertz that those are running at is too high for them to hear. But the pulse that the trolling motor gives out, the, the spinning blades of the trolling motor is very, very much within the range that they can hear and feel. And therefore, uh, it gives a distinct signature in the water. And the fish have figured out that when that thing's making that noise in the water, then that's when anglers are around. It's uh, interesting that flat, I grew up in South Florida, as you know, and flats guys have said forever that trolling motors spook fish. And I've always argued that, well, I mean, why? Is it bass and walleyes? Everybody else falls for the trolling motor thing. Well, I think they're correct. I think in that shallow water situation that they're in, in a lot of cases, you turn that trolling motor on and the vibration from that trolling motor, fish are already skinnish in shallow water and they vacate. And it's they were probably onto something before we are. But this forward-facing sonar, is verifying a lot of that it's we get a lot of refusals and a lot of fish that leave before you get within say uh, three quarters of a cast of them they just aren't aren't sticking around and waiting for you to play now do you think 
Um, we're going to have to change our approach, and maybe we're going to learn go back to maybe some techniques we used to use, like drifting over an area with not using the electric control, or instead of spot lock, maybe we'll be anchoring our boats. Absolutely, and that's what I've already had to do on guide trips. Is I figured out right away. Well, wait, I can do better if I just get upwind and drift over. They don't worry about the weight of the boat. They don't worry about it's just that trolling motor. And if you stay off it and drift over, I can get them to go in the drop shot, no problem. Uh, but if you come on them on the trolling motor, like half of them will bite on the drop shot, and the other half already left. And so it's uh, it's definitely changing some things. I'm also staying farther away from a, from a thing and, and making cast to it. And that kind of goes to the second part I wanted to talk about. There are now companies developing lures specifically for forward-facing sonar uh, and, and guys adapting lures that are on the market to that because they're finding out that making long casts to stuff that we previously might have dropped right on uh, is a better play for getting fish, particularly larger than average fish. And I talked to some guys that fish Mille Lacs a lot up in Minnesota, and there's a lot of shallow rock piles. Those guys are figuring out that if they stay a long ways from the rock pile and cast to it, watching sonar, they're better off than if they try to get right on top of it and look at it with traditional sonar. So, uh, you know, it's definitely changing how we approach some stuff, and it's changing it very, very quickly for me. What types of lures are you seeing? What types of developments are coming out to help us with this? Well, people are figuring out there's all kinds of refusals. And so, ironically, here's one you're going to laugh about, Terry, but there are several companies that are basically knocking off gulp minnows at this point because they're finding out that a small little minnow bait with no appendages has less refusals than anything else, and I've known that for many years. It's not that it catches the biggest fish to catches all the fish and therefore some of those are big and some are little. And so you're seeing some hyper-realistic, much smaller uh, baits that will stay in a strike zone for a long time, sink slower, uh, things like that, that, that have a very small, very realistic profile. And in the case of, of Gulf, obviously you have the scent flavor as well, but you get less refusals with stuff like that. And, and you know, Dr. Uh, or John Procknow, who by the way, made the freshwater, Fishing Hall of Fame this year, uh, John Pacquiao, development guy behind Gulp, he said forever that if you put no appendages on something and you just have a small little body similar to a Ned or a Gulp minnow, you get the most bites. And a lot of companies are adopting that at this point, which we saw at ICAST. Yeah, and I've you and I have been doing that forever. You know, it's really kind of funny because <clears throat> I've heard all this stuff about the Ned rig, and I'm up in northern Minnesota, and I'm going to be fishing up here all week. And my partner, Greg Claggio, and I, we were molding mushroom head jigs and putting short worms on them in the 80s, okay? Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and now, all of a sudden, somebody calls it a Ned Rig, and it's the newest newest invention in fishing. I just It cracks me up. But then you get back to, like you said, the gulp minnow. How many times have you think you and I have said gulp minnow on these airwaves? I know, and that's the thing, and, and it's just so consistent, and it's because it doesn't give off any negative cues. There's no flash, there's no vibration, there's, there's nothing like that, and so it's it doesn't give off any negative cues, and it smells right, it tastes right, and therefore you trick the most fish with it, and big ones or little ones, you know, from big giant tarpon and sharks all the way down. Everybody will eat a three-inch coat That's it's just a it's just a thing, and a lot of companies now, several of the, of the big players are adopting baits very very similar to that uh, for dealing with forward facing sonar. Uh, other baits that will flutter, other different styles of flutter baits, things like that as well. They keep out ahead of the boat and work in a small area, also coming down at the same time. But 
yeah, the the very the very subtle, very natural, no appendages, no flash, no vibration. In most cases, will get you more bites than anything else. And this sonar is teaching people that, and it's something we intuitively knew from many many years of fishing. You know. All right, we got about three minutes left. What else did you see at ICAST that might open some eyes or get people excited? Well, there's a lot of stuff about release stuff, which I like. So, for instance, Fraybell came out with a net. Uh, that's got a built-in scale and measuring thing in it. So it's a conservation series bag. So if you're one of those people that's chasing your personal best all the time and you're inclined to measure every fish, uh, which I know a lot of guys do these days, for better or for worse, uh, you can weigh it, measure it all in the same net that's rubber, uh, you know, rubberized, coated, or what they call their conservation series. So it's a big, big flat basket so the fish can breathe in it. And, uh, and it's not all binding them up, you know, and not rubbing their slime coat off. So that was pretty slick. A couple of different uh, also deep release tools there. So for guys that are fishing lake trout or, or even here at Horsetooth, we're picking off deep smallmouth and walleyes in fall, and they're 50 feet down. If you're not very careful bringing them up, they will, they will experience barotrauma. Or as, you, as you're aware, their, their insides will not, uh, will not deal with the lack of pressure when they come to the surface, and it will kill the fish ultimately. But now they've got release tools that you can clip on them that will release that fish. You drop them overboard, it pulls them to the bottom with weight to wherever depth you've got them, and it will automatically release when it hits that depth and let the fish go. And so instead of fizzing them, which is a horrible thing, uh, a lot of people, oh, you can fizz them and let the air out. Yeah, that's a good way to kill them. And they just do it on delayed mortality. This is a way that the fish can be released without hurting the fish at all, even the deep, deep, deep stuff. So lake trout guys should be all over this one. Uh, that's a new thing that I saw there as well. Um, and, and lots of lots and lots and lots of lithium stuff. Uh, lithium ions definitely here to stay, whether it be in the boats or for kayaks or for sonars or for whatever. There was nine or ten different companies there with various lithium ion solutions to all sorts of fishing electronic stuff. So, um, you know, it's definitely been a been a a switch in that industry in a big way. Last year, there was one or two companies there. This year, there was like 10 or 11 companies there that were all working on lithium ions or chargers for them, things like that. So people are trying to power all these electronics in their boats as well. The last thing, how's the bite at Horse Tooth? What are you seeing? Well, I just got back in town. I haven't been out much. So, um, but the water is dropping like a rock. And uh, because of that, it tends to get muddy. So, because the banks are muddy, so it's a little bit muddier. There is a bunch of fish on offshore stuff. So, it's a perfect time. If you happen to be an electronics person, this is the time to use your electronics. There's a lot of fish that are out offshore, um, and therefore they're targetable out there. And there's still a fair number of trout showing up. Considering how warm the water is, there's a fair number of trout showing up high in the water column. And, and uh, Parks and Wildlife's been stocking them again the last couple of years in here, and also a few wipers. So I'm hoping folks will release those wipers. They're growing like weeds, and uh, they'll get big if they can stay in here a couple of years. But there's a fair number of those showing up as well. Good time to find an offshore hump, has some smallmouth on it, tie in a gulp minnow, and maybe catch some fish, huh? Absolutely. That's it. It's straight video gaming and it's addictive. And I don't even like video games. And I'm not even a huge fan of staring at my graph all the time. 
But I'm not kidding, Terry. This stuff is addicting. And uh, and being able to look at fish, follow a jerkbait, and watch it. Well, if I jerk it hard, he stays right on. If I jerk it real subtly, he backs off. I mean, literally, you can watch the fish's relation to your lure and uh, and how they're responding to it. And just I'll close with this real quick. Uh, there was just a muskie tournament up, I believe, at Lake of the Woods. There's two teams with forward-facing sonar. One of them caught 10, 10 muskies. <laughs> And they were able to spot those muskies first and then cast to them. And as you know, catching 10 muskies in a day is not easy. The next closest team caught two, and they did not have forward-facing sonar. So they, that organization made it immediately illegal. That's how much of an advantage it can be. Well, it's, it's going to change what we do, and uh, it, hopefully it changes our understanding so we can have better management, become better anglers. Um, and these things always have an impact when they first come out. We'll see how the industry adjusts and how we settle down to it. But we are definitely, you know, we went through this with normal sonar for years, getting better and better. And then the mapping became unbelievably good where we could, everybody could find every hump in the lake. And now we're having the forward looking and side viewing and even down viewing sonar. And we're learning so much more about fish behavior. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting time to see how things develop. Chad, people want to get a hold of you for a trip or just information, fishful thinker. Yep, fishfulthinker.com or any of our social media or our podcast, all of that. If you look up Fishful Thinker, you will find it on, on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Our podcast is all over the place, and, of course, our YouTube channel as well. And uh, one more thing, quick for you, Terry, uh, forward-facing sonar has come to the ice at this point now, real-time sonar. So each of the companies launched an ice package with that, so guys can watch fish below the ice in real time as well. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Thanks very much, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. Chad Lachance. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wicks from Outdoors on ESPN. You're just a teardrop in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love. I somehow... All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. By the way, that song that was just playing was streaming here in the campgrounds last night for people. So I never miss a chance to shamelessly self-promote my music. And, of course, that's uh, Teardrop in My my Eyes by Wickstrom and Dobreth. You can uh, stream us on any of your favorite services. I think last night they were finding it on Amazon. But it's on Spotify and it's on uh, I, um, Apple Music. So we appreciate that. Just listen. We have four songs out in an EP right now. And we will be having a new release as soon as I quit fishing and get back in the studio and finish the vocals. But we're having fun with it. It's a good time. Speaking of getting back in the studio, we will be continuing our Minnesota trip next week. Today we are at a Little Winnie. We're in the heart of the best walleye country in northern Minnesota and we're also going to be bass and muskie and panfish fishing for the next week. Then we're going to be heading up to uh, Grand Marais on the shores of Lake Superior, where Karen and I will be staying overlooking the cliff right down to the lake. It's going to be a fun time. You know, we both are from northern Minnesota originally, so when we get to return, we it really uh, tugs at our hearts, Karen, but it doesn't make us want to move here in the winter. She's shaking her head. <laughs> the last winter I spent here, to give you folks an idea, uh, we had 60 days in a row where the warmest temperature of the day didn't get above zero. 
And the coldest days got down in the 50, 60 below without the wind chill. Now, I love to ice fish, but I have limits. So we love the weather in Colorado. We'll be back, and we will continue to talk a lot about Colorado. Um, Next week, we didn't get a chance to talk much about the northeastern lakes this week. So next week, we will get, I'll get Brad Peterson on. Maybe we'll even talk to the biologist. Um, We're seeing water levels drop. The fishing never really materialized the way the biologists thought it would out there this year, both from just the standpoint of their testing showed there should have been better fishing there. Was it the weather? Was it the water levels? Are we going to see, you know, Jumbo right now is in a fish uh, recovery. We've got that posted. Follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. You'd know that the limits have been removed at Jumbo, and you can harvest those fish before we lose that fishery. Hopefully it won't take long to rebuild it. So we'll we'll try to get more information on those, see how the other lakes are faring, when the boat ramps might be closing out there. We're gonna we're in a very different year this year. Spinny Reservoir at the beginning of the year was low and they had trouble getting the boat ramps open. It's full right now. A horse tooth was very full in the beginning and it's dropping like a rock, but that's kind of typical for horse tooth. But for lakes like Bar Lake and Jumbo and Sterling and Jackson to be falling as quickly, you know, it was extremely dry out on the plains and the farmers are drying a lot to finish the crop season so they can do it. And yet we've had a lot of rain now in the last, in the last couple of weeks. In fact, Nate was talking about the water holes out for pronghorn hunting where they used to be, two or three now there's 10 or 20 so it's going to change that we'll keep you abreast of all those things it's the conditions this year have been very erratic and conditions both in hunting and fishing have changed almost day weekly if not daily so we'll try to keep you appraised of that so you can get out and have some fun the excessive heat we had for a while changed our river fishing for a while so we'll keep you on top of that and by the way next week we're back on espn again from 10 to noon and then the week after that, back on the fan. But then we bounce around between the fan and ESPN for a couple months. We've got some college football games that are contractual. We've got some training camp. And then we actually have a Broncos preseason game one of the days there. But while we're bouncing around, our um, our current board operator, Jake, he's, a boy, he's going to become a daddy here in the next couple of days as his wife goes into uh, induced labor, I believe. And I could hear the excitement and both the anxiety in his voice when I talked to him earlier, but I'm sure it's going to be just great. And his wife is uncomfortable. And Jake, your part of this was done a long time ago. So be there to support her. We're all for Jake spending time with his wife the next couple of weeks at this time, which will be an exciting time in their life. And congratulations, Jake, and our best wishes on everything. You folks out there, Follow us on ESPN. Follow us on the fan. If you want to know where we're at, follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Uh, We will tell you. If we don't say anything, we're on 104.3 The Fan from 9 to 11. Anytime we're on ESPN, we move from 10 to noon, we'll let you know. And remember, you can follow us online at ESPN by just going to 104.3thefan.com. There's a link right at the top to listen to either ESPN or The Fan. We appreciate it when you follow us around. Um, we're going to have a lot to cover. This is a time of the year when things start happening. We're going to have all the hunting seasons are going to be kicking in. We're going to have some of the best fishing of the year coming up. And then we're going to have some of our travel that we want to not only inform you about, but maybe gloat a little about because we're having a good time. In fact, I see a campfire calling. I can't have too much, though, because Claudia will be picking me up at first light and 
will be out on the water. So we'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on ESPN.